everybody. Um, my name is Gretchen, and I'm an alcoholic. And I first uttered that statement sitting right back there um, on March 21st, 2011. And that's um, not something I ever wanted to say. Um, but now I'm so grateful that I get to say that. And that's something that I can say in meetings all over the globe. And it means something. And um, one of the most enormous things it means is how little I actually know about what the future holds and what's best for me. Um, because at first, of course, I thought that was a shameful utterance. And now I think, look who I get to be with, you know? And I don't feel bad about it. Um, I, I feel um, really grateful that I'm getting to say this here, uh, tell my story here at Bolden. I'm actually moving. I'm a lifelong Texan, and I'm moving to Canada after Christmas. Um, as I like to put it, I'm living the American dream. I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> um, and in the town that I went to, that we're moving to, Ottawa, um, I went to AA meeting right off. The, the first thing I did was go and check it out and, to, and see if they have, and they have a lot of meetings. They even have their own little newsletter, and there was a certain amount of Canadian reserve going on in that meeting, but that was one of many meetings that there are. And so um, I feel, you know, uh, nervous but excited about going someplace else, but also knowing that there is... Um, this uh, places with this kind of candor that I'm going to be able to fucking just move to. I mean, and that is what, hi, my name is Gretchen and I'm an alcoholic, allows me uh, entree into, is to uh, places of, again, honesty, candor, safety, people sharing their hearts, people sharing solutions, people sharing what's hard. Really everything I wanted to talk about when I was, when I was struggling um, because I've got like tons of big feelings and I want to like try to figure out how to feel them and it can be really useful with other people and that's like kind of in a way all we are doing in AA all the time is like oh god how do I deal with these feelings you know I have them I love them I hate them um, mostly I like to feel buzzed but now I have to like feel a, a, a wide a range of other colors of feeling um, so I'll, I'll start and then I'll talk about what it was like and then I'll talk about what recovery's been like. I'm a native no problem. I'm a native um, Gulf Coast uh, queer which is its own thingamajiggy if you're my age. There was no gay straight alliance in Clear Lake City in the 60s or 70s. There was just um, teasing. Um, it's I, 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 that movie um, that was called Battle of the Sexes that was a fine movie but um, it was about <coughs> Billie Jean King and um, what's his face um, I was in Houston at that time so I listened to you know all of that was going on the kind of sexism that is running in the background of that film of what the newscasters had to say about you know male superiority and all of that kind of stuff is um is very real, the climate in which I was raised um, and what, what the effects. Um, I 
think on any kind of sensitive person. It was it was hard um, for me, and I don't know if it's hard for everybody, but it was particular version of hard in um, Galveston and then Clear Lake City and then and in Houston for me as a young queer. Um, my parents are from Abilene, uh, West Texas, Church of Christ, um, and um, why don't Church of Christers ever make love standing up because people might think they were dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Music is a cappella because instruments are sinful. And um, there's a lot to push up against. And in fact, they were pushing up against that and then moved to try to find um, a kind of freedom that they could if they moved away from Abilene all the way to Galveston. Um, It was also the 60s. It was a time of Drinking, pot, and wife swapping, all of which they, and I, again, was a sensitive kid seeing, you know, seeing everything really on a, on a, on a cusp of, 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 of some very interesting changes, um, but that I didn't understand. I, I really did not understand. I was lucky. Um, as hard as the church was when we would go to Abilene and it was very sort of hellfire and brimstone, I was told as a child that God is love and God is everywhere. And um, I'm lucky that that stayed inside of me. And um, it did stay inside of me. Um, I don't understand I'm a musician. I don't understand how I know what I'm doing. I have been always good at it. I don't know what that is. And I guess probably a religious uh, relative of mine said, oh, that's God. (laughs) And I was like, okay, cool. and uh, so I was somebody who prayed, um, and I <coughs> did believe in like a magical force. Uh, I love science, and I don't understand um, photosynthesis, um, ATP. Um, I mean, there's just there's so much magical things we don't know. The mycelium under them, you know. <laughs> Dad worked on the NASA project. <laughs> It's like it's amazing all of those things, and I want to be able to feel a part of them. Um, one of the things uh, that happened was is that my parents rebelled, and so they were uh, hanging out with the neighbors, drinking for the first time, smoking pot for the first time, swapping wives for the first time, and they got kind of like this adolescence, you know, that was going on, and um, it, I didn't like it. You know, it felt weird to sort of witness um, them getting drunk in front of us and the kids are supposed to play and the rel- and the neighbors and everybody's just getting loud and weird. Um, <laughs> definitely. So I remember, and that is what I associated with drinking um, until I tried it. And um, we had Sherry in a like burlap bag. I mean, it's like if you want to play pirates, that's fucking perfect. Like, you know, yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum and like a little thing. And, you know, um, we would we would play all sorts of games starring alcohol. Pirates, maybe church. We have like a little bit. Um, and we just be, I mean, I guess my parents weren't drinking that sherry because, you know, I was definitely making a dent in it. It's like, um, I, I also was a big fan of mouthwash. Um, when I started to have uh, toothaches, my mom said, 
just put some of the scotch in your mouth and just hold it. It'll numb it out and then spit it out. So I did that. I acquired a taste for scotch quite young. Um, <laughs> and I remember this slumber party with a bunch of friends uh, where I didn't spit it out. I just swallowed it. And I just kept going back for more. Mm-hmm. It made the slumber party more kind of crazy fun. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved I loved. I loved that excited, excited feeling. And I loved a feeling of a kind of belonging that I got from it. Um, when I was 12, there was a wedding, and I stole champagne and drank till I barfed. Um, I wasn't, I had a lot of disincentives in my family in terms of alcoholism to not want to be an alcoholic. I, I didn't, I really, I, I just dreamt of being straight edge and like a child of God but I had my carnal desires which were definitely interfering and I love fun and it was the 70s so I um, would have an idea in my head and then I would find myself reaching for something else so for me um, I was teased mercilessly um, again, I think for just being, a, you know, a queer in Houston. And um, when I discovered pot, uh, the same people who wanted to beat me up just laughed their heads off at what I was saying. And um, it seemed like a magical, wonderful thing. And for me, using and, and drinking, I was always afraid of doing too much. It was... There was only a little bit of time. I don't remember a time where it was just completely abandoned. I really, I don't, but there was a, there was a, a kind of bummer of a moral ceiling always that I was, you know, kind of, and I think it's the same with my parents. I think they modeled for me. We can't just do this with abandon. Um, we're, we're frightened of this act, you know, and, and losing control in this kind of a way. Um, but I sought it, you know, I absolutely did. It made everything feel um, more easy, even if I was uneasy about being afraid I was going to, you know, fall down some slippery slope. Um, so I became, after vomiting from that, that wedding, I became concerned about, uh, at 12 I became concerned about my drinking. <laughs> I wasn't sure I could handle it because I drank tons when I could drink it. And so I was, so at 14 I was like, I'm just going to stick with pot. And, um, so I did that until the gateway drug led me to other things, until it was like, but you know what's really fun is speed and downers. <laughs> but you know what's really fun is hallucinogenics. Um, so, but, but what you don't want to do is drink. So I did whatever I, you know, and it was interesting to see my grades go down because I was a good student, and really by my senior year, I was just skating on all that GPA from before, um, and I think the good graces of my teachers, who it, mu- they must have put something on the report card and then actually reported something else because, um, and I don't know how they might have been concerned. I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, but it was, it was really already out of control in terms of me telling myself, no, and then I, I would be like, Hi, I'm fucked up. How did that happen? Was I not going to get fucked up? Um, when I moved here right after graduating, um, I started playing music right away, which is what I wanted to do. And it was 1981 here. Mm-hmm. was 
better than now. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I don't think it is. But um, I was younger. And uh, it... I was involved in the punk scene, and that is a drinking scene. And I, a guy left uh, some beer in the fridge, and something, I don't know why I drink a beer, because I can never could drink a beer. I didn't know how to drink a beer. And he left three buds, which of course, when, when I think about it later, it's like, how could you not have just drunk that whole six pack when you came to visit me? But okay. And so he left, what, what's, what's his drinking problem? He left like three in my fridge. And it's like he drank half of them? What the fuck? So he left half of them, and um, I, I drank one. I mean, I, was, I liked to, like, eat acid and then eat acid the next day so I wouldn't have to come down, you know? Oh I mean, it was God. just like... And so I drank this beer. It's kind of almost... It's, it was what I called the beer chug. And, and, I rem- and I have it in my journal, like, had my first beer. You just gulp it really fast. Nice. And um, I loved Budweiser because that's what he left in their fridge. And, um, and that was my drink, Budweiser. And I remember being at a party um, here... And a woman was, like, right after that, and a woman was looking in the fridge, and she was like, ugh, it's only Budweiser. And I was like, oh, no, you just drink it as fast as you can. (laughs) And she was like, I don't want to drink it like that. And I was like, no, that's how you you drink it. (laughs) And, I mean, it's so great. I mean, how much fucking party stuff from 1981 do I recall? But I recall that. Um, I think because of the certain sort of coming up against a completely sort of different way um, of going about it. Um, But again, always with an eye towards my alcoholic stepfather, my poor little brother, um, friends, um, it's kind of like the like the joke of like I'm not gay, but I think she might be. Yeah. Where it's just like I'm not an alcoholic, but I think she might be. Was was actually what I was telling myself. Um, in right away, I took to beer, and I already had that love for scotch. And um, in the music biz, like you don't really get paid any money, but you do get drink tickets. And uh, so it was. And in my job in a restaurant, you know, you got your shift drink, and if somebody didn't want it, can I have yours, please? And um, it just was how it was, and I was young, and I could, I could, you know, sort of handle it. But it didn't take me really very long before I was concerned, especially around touring, uh, about drinking, because I was pretty sure that I could just get drunk and, you know, fuck around on my girlfriend. Um, not mean to. Absolutely not mean to, but get some in me and do that. So I had a rule eventually when I was on tour that I wouldn't drink in the United States. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which only meant I made a fucking fool of myself at festivals elsewhere. Um, <laughs> where I really didn't want to make a fool of myself. But it was also, I mean, in hindsight now, I see that I was drinking... You know, I could not um, control it unless I was, I mean, I was an all or nothing kind of kind of person. Um, I had periods of time where I was dry, um, where for a variety of reasons, I don't even remember what they fucking were now, right. but I would tear probably, or in order to do this thing, I would have to stop doing that. And um, 
There would be an initial experience of dryness that reminded me of tripping because I'd be like, God, I don't even know what's going to happen today. <laughs> like with drinking, it's like, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to do this. I mean, it's very sort of habitual and patterned, and it has a very particular shape to it. Even if it's a crappy shape, it's a predictable shape. And one of the things I loved about hallucinogens was that I didn't know what the day would bring. And one of the things I loved about being dry was like, God, I mean, like, anything could happen. At 5 or at 7 or even still at like 10 or 11 p.m., you know. And um, I could be dry and excited for a while, and then uh, the loneliness would hit me. And I would be at a club, I would be someplace, and people would seemingly be drinking with impunity and having a good time, and I just would feel so left out. Um, and I would feel so sorry for myself. Um, and it would just feel like there was just this bubble of me starring me and my feelings and some more about me and everybody having a great time, and I'm in me world. And I, I had a thing that I called the veil, which is, and it happened more and more as I grew older, where I would be at a party or I'd be someplace, and it's like, I see you, I know you're there, but there's this, I can't really touch you. There's a veil, and I cannot, I cannot get past this veil. I cannot, I cannot really reach you. Um, and... This stuff was very shameful to me. I didn't want to talk about it. Um, I didn't really know who would want to hear that. Um, I was fronting a lot, but I didn't even know how much I was fronting, right? Because that's just, isn't that just being an adult? Like, aren't you just terrified and you're fronting? Like, aren't you just mortified by your own every self and you're just, you know, fake it till you make it kind of like... I didn't, I didn't know really how much um, pressure I was putting myself under in terms of keeping, keeping things under. Um, I have a really great girlfriend, <coughs> and it's, that didn't matter. Like none of, none, These things didn't matter because this was a very private... This was really a very private hell. So what would happen is I would have these periods of time of being dry, um, and then something would happen or the loneliness would be too bad and I would drink again. And it would be so... Well, usually the first drinks would be furtive um, in some kind of way. and um, Or they might be um, in a foreign land, which... <laughs> I don't know. That's maybe it's part of my romanticization about it. Um, and I would think that this time it would be different and it wouldn't be different. And in fact, when I would start drinking again, it seemed like it was harder. And it seemed like I was drinking harder and that something was riding me harder. Um, and it, 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 it was worrisome to me. And I liked to read about stuff about drinkers. I loved reading these things and, and thinking about it. Although, again, because of the alcoholics in my life, I could... It seemed like it applied to them, but I didn't necessarily think about it for myself. But I did eventually wonder if someday there was going to be some version of where I was going to have to really stop, even if it was just $3 bottles of red wine in France, which it is, um, <laughs> that I was just going to have to. But, but the more I was dry and going back, the less I knew I had any fucking idea how to do that. 
So what happened is, is that I just became more and more full of self-pity. And I have a completely enviable life. And that was part of my silent personal shame, was that I have a great life and I was just full of self-pity. Um, this person had a better career. That person wasn't losing their looks quite as fast. That person had more money. Um, nobody had a better girlfriend, but... <laughs> but I knew that I actually have it good, but again, I, I couldn't feel it. And um, it became incredibly unpleasant inside my own brain. Um, and it became really full inside of my brain of resentments. And I was tripping over them constantly in my mind. Um, I had a situation where I put out an album that I thought was brilliant and nothing happened. And that was the most unfair thing that this room has ever heard, okay? <laughs> um, and around that time, I also had some surgery where they gave me some painkillers, which I don't know if you know this, but they work faster if you drink with them. <laughs> so I was a miserable fuck. I was a really miserable fuck. And... Um, Again, I didn't know how to get out of my head, and I didn't know how to get out of my bad emotional state. And after that, my father got cancer in Houston, and I started to go um, to Houston on a regular basis and take care of him. And it was both meaningful and hard. Um, when it, it was very hard being faced with his mortality. He was not going to recover from this liver cancer. And... Um, also, hospitals are weird, although MD Anderson is pretty fascinating. Um, but there's not a bar at MD Anderson. Uh, but if you, back in the early days of Yelp, if you Yelp, you can find that they actually have a version of a margarita at Chipotle uh, that's terrible. <laughs> and if you want to go walk in the heat down to a Chipotle and pop a buzz and then return to the hospital, you can um, to take care of your dying dad. And so I tried that. That was really awful. Um, but I was drinking just sort of to get through this thing. And I was talking with my sweet little sister who was helping me. And she, too, was hitting the bottle pretty hard whilst um, taking care of Dad. Because we didn't know how to feel. We had no fucking idea how to feel. Um, we didn't know how to feel bad. We didn't know how to feel vulnerable. We didn't know how to feel the reality of what was going on. What we wanted to feel was some comfort. And it was getting sadly more and more elusive, but whatever, I was trying it. Um, so eight years ago, right around now, actually, eight years ago, right around now, my dad was, was, was dying, dying. And um, he died, and I was there. And it was pretty cool um, to be there, I have to say. I was sober for his death, and it was pretty amazing, his leaving. Um, and then it was time in January of 2011 to clean out his hoarder house, which was a house in Houston that was a straight-up giant fucking hoarder house. Um, and it had, um, it had, I didn't even know this was a room. I thought this was a closet where the, 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 the carpet was damp in a Houston way and was stuck and you couldn't open the door. Like, I didn't even know that was like another room that was just filled with stuff. Um, and he had his little path in his hoarder house, 
and then it was just surrounded by stuff. And it was surrounded by rooms and closets that he would never want to go inside. And um, at the end, I gave myself one month. I found in the back of his closet an outfit of mine, literally from when I was 18 years old. I was like, Dad, these pants are cool. <laughs> and they're so, they're tiny. How could you fit in these? And I had them on, and then eventually I was like, these are my fucking pants. <laughs> and I, I mean, and this, his house was filthy. And I just wore the same pants and the same, and I had a dust, and I, and I wanted to honor my dad. And I wanted to honor the stuff and get rid of the stuff and do it in an honorable way. And at the end of it, on the 27th of January, 2011, going through and going through his stuff and trying to honor it, I came upon this weird shit in a journal that was so weird and I'm looking at it and I'm reading it and it's my dad confessing that he no longer wanted to masturbate about watching me undress and jerking off and I the entire world crumbled uh, for me because that's a horrible thing to do and it was a horrible thing to read and he was already dead so I couldn't kill him and uh, my world came crashing down because I'd just been trying to respect him and that was profound disrespect um, even though he was writing about how he was trying to stop but my part of the problem is he's a really good writer so it's quite eloquent um, and of course it still haunts me um, although not as much because I'm a sober person now and so I smashed a couple of his instruments I called up my sister I called up my girlfriend and each of them said in their own way, oh, Jesus, I just, oh, I, Gretchen, I don't know. I mean, I can, only, I can only hope that some good can come of this. And I'm like, what the fuck good can come of this? You know? How? How is there good that can come of this? Um, and I finished the task, and I came home, and I was so flipped out, really, that I was like, you know what? You've got to dry out for the month of February 2011. Um, don't don't drink for the month of February 2011. It's the shortest month of the year, I think. You can <laughs> Except I couldn't. Every week, something something would come up. I'd been able to stop for a month before, but I could not stop for a month. You don't. The neighbor has a dachshund barking all the fucking time. They don't care. Oh God. Sorry, I got, who wouldn't drink? Uh, it's Valentine's, and it's, let's be romantic and get so fucked up that we want to just go to sleep instead of have sex. Who wouldn't want to do that? Um, there was always a reason every week why I could not stay sober. Um, and a friend visited me who is sober. She was on tour. And I was, I didn't know anything about AA, I didn't know anything about this, and I was just like, I knew she was sober, I was trying not to drink that month, I was being very candid with her, and I was like, I'm just going to let you know that when it's 5 o'clock I'm going to want to drink, but I'm going to have a fake beer, and then if I still want to drink, 45 minutes later I'm going to have another fake beer, and then at 30 minutes after that, if I still want to drink, I'm going to have another fake beer, and then if I still want to drink after that, I'll have a real beer, but then I'll return to the fake beer, and she was like, okay, that sounds really it's like really complicated. Uh, and I, and I, I was like, yeah, that's how you do it. It is complicated. And she said, actually, uh, it could be simpler. I was like, no, no, try it. It's, that's, how, that's how you do it. It's complicated. And she was like, no, I, I mean, actually, you could, 
you know, went through the pro- through the program through AA, and it was like, well, I don't, I don't think I need that. I, just, I need a big beer. I don't think I need the program. But we went to um, we went to an AA meeting um, by UT because she she was like, well, I'd like to go to one while I'm here. Would you like to come? So we went to one, and I got a big book. And I didn't think I was an alcoholic, but I read the big book, and I was like, oh, shit, how come I identify with everything in this book? It's like, wow, killing me softly with his song. I mean, I really identify with this stuff, especially that stuff around control. You know, I just want to control everything. And so I read the book, and... I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I like to say it's it's uh, archaic Faulknerian language, you know. It's like you know, bedeviled. You know, we're, I mean, you kind of notice a word like bedeviled. It sort of sticks, sticks with you. Um, so I. Uh, anyway, February was over, and then it was March, and I was like, well, you know, I mean, I didn't really pass, but it's a different month now, so I guess I can drink, and. Um, I, I mean, I never drank like that before. I had never drunk so hard. And it was because of trying to banish the reality of the stuff about my dad. Um, my mind was like my dad's hoarder house, where there were rooms I could not go in at all, where I was terrified to open that door and see the must and see the dust and see the work and just slam it. My brain was so full of self-pity, with terror, with betrayal of that, and with every other fucking thing that you could stick in there. And that had been going on for so long. And at the end of my drinking, I was at a South by Southwest festival, literally staggering around, telling myself before I'd gone that day, please don't drink. But they didn't really have any good water. And they, were you like supposed to drink out of a hose? You can get Giardia that way. So they had free booze, as was always the case. And I was literally staggering. And my girlfriend had to drive me home, and she was leaving early for a month to go travel with her mom in Morocco the next day. And she had to drive me home while I was singing songs from here and crying. And because the self-pity was just so enormous. But the weirdest thing happened on March 21st, 2011, which is that I woke up and I was like, I'm done. Mm. And I really, I woke up with a grin on my face, hungover. We had to go back to that place to get the car to do some shit before she went to the airport. But I, I felt lighter and I felt relieved. I was like, I'm, I'm fucking done. I think I'm done, like this book thing says about the done thing. So I came here uh, that night. Uh, I thought you had to say my name is Gretchen, I'm an alcoholic, or you got kicked out. I I thought somebody was going to take me aside and talk me through everything. They didn't. They said, keep coming back, which was like, uh, okay. John Paul talked to me at length, so I was talking to like a gay guy with a bunch of jewelry on. People said, glad you're here. I felt like that was true, but how could that be? But Jennifer, will you hand me the promises? The thing is, is that these inside my bleariness... These promises, holy shit. This is exactly what I wanted. I was not getting any younger. And I had seen my friends get brittle and weird. And that was the only place I was going towards was pickled calcification. I knew nothing about a new freedom. And I had no idea how to pursue happiness 
since I didn't like the direction this town was going in. <laughs> How can you be happy with this traffic? <laughs> you know, I mean, the control shit. I didn't, I, the, the comprehend the word serenity, I was like, break it down, comprehend the word serenity. I don't even comprehend the word serenity. What smart person really does, you know? And we will know peace. But I wanted it. I wanted peace. I really did. This really got me. The fact that it doesn't say, perhaps you have a feeling of uselessness. It doesn't say that. It like points the finger right at me and says, that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. It's like, how, how do you know that? And that did keep me coming back. Because I was like, well, how do you know so much about me? I'm like very complicated number one. <laughs> Unbelievably special number two. You're going to be peeling on this onion for a while. <laughs> that, that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. Okay. So, you know, I we will lose interest in selfish things, which I thought as an artist was all I was supposed to do, have interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. I don't even look at fellows. I have no fucking idea. <laughs> Am I supposed to look at them? They are all around me, and I'm studiously avoiding them. Maybe I should gain interest, but I don't know how. How do you gain interest? Self-seeking will slip away, but I'm an artist. Aren't I supposed to? My whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Well, that'd be nice. Fear of people, terrified. Fucking terrified. Economic insecurity, fucking terrified. Hold on, that's going to leave me? Oh, I'd like that. And then I really liked that I was going to intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle me. I liked baffle, because again, it was kind of archaic. And I also liked the notion of a kind of intuitive, again, returning to the thing with being able to play music. Like, how do I know how to do this? You know, how, am I, how do I know how to intuitively play music? Um, we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Okay, I don't know if I like that part right there. Look at God, God, God. But you know what? What ifs? I am at my wit's end with this drinking thing and this trying to drink away this dad thing and a reality and a self-pity, and it ain't happening. So let me give it a try. So girlfriend was gone for a month. I just biked to this place and to Gay A when it was in the office park. <laughs> I just biked all the time. Lost some weight. Wasn't drinking. Sweated a lot. Really sweated a lot out of me. Had like a lot of physical things happen. And didn't know about the sponsor thing because how that sounds like 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 some sort of like dream wife. Like how do you find, how do you find her? You know, in a room full of alcoholics. Are they? How common is that? And eventually, I was like, the next person who talks to me is going to be that person. And it worked out that it worked out, and that was a good person. And and she took me and she took me through the steps. And I thought I would stop for six months until it was fall and the seasonal beers that I prefer came back into season. Um, that's what I told myself. Although I hated in the book where it said that we are constantly, you know, telling ourselves that we could drink like normal people and we can't. I thought that that was like kind of lame um, because I did want to just drink like normal people. Um, but you know, uh, 
I was doing the steps, and by six months, I was like, this class is fascinating. <laughs> and I think of it as class. You know, I think of this as life class. I mean, this is adult education for somebody who has really, I mean, I had no idea. And I'm, not, and I'm plenty smart, but I was completely missing this other part which is the handing it over. Because on no level is that intuitive for a lesbian feminist raised Church of Christ in Texas. <laughs> that I'm going to hand it over. Like my aunts, when they'd say, I don't know, it's just God's will, I just hand it over. It's like, mm-hmm. I, it basically sounds like, I don't know, my husband decides. You know, and I don't know. I mean, I had no idea how to fit me in that. Where am I in that? You know? And it took time. For me to find me in here. It took me coming back and not drinking. It took time for this to be something that unfolded. Mm. I didn't under, this whole God, I mean, you can't help but kind of have a picture, I noticed, of God. (laughs) And he looked just like my dad, who would portray Santa Claus annually. But every, you know, and I was like, okay, move that one, move, move, what else? You know, so it's the trees. I love this place back when the windows would open and the breeze would come through. You know, it was nature, nature for <coughs> connection, music, everything that I'm not, things that aren't just humans, all the non-human things. And, um, you know, having a relationship. That's what my sponsor told me when I was away. For I was able to feel sorry for myself living for free in Paris because my powers <laughs> of self-pity are so strong. And she was like, you know what? You've got to really work on that relationship with God. And... That advice has really been such an enormous thing to see me through because God is always with me. Um, And this image changes a lot of what this higher power is. Um, I don't, I mean, I think the very nature of having an image is a limitation. I think it's much larger than that, but my mind is limited. Um, I I just want to say, as I was pointed out to me that you tell a long story about how you got here and then you have a short amount of time to say what it's like now Um, I'm very glad that I am a sober person and I've been glad for quite some time Um, I I don't want to be how I was I don't want all that That, I don't miss that shit I don't miss I don't miss needing a drink needing a drink the amount of space What happened for me even a month in was that I noticed I had more space, Mm -hmm. that that hoarder house inside of me had more room. And inventory, wow. Inventory and night step, that was big clean out. Big major clean out. And cleaning out inside of me and noticing there was a, there's a, a store that I would imagine for inventory that's on a, that's on Duval where you would just be like, I mean, who's going to eat this? It's got this much dust on it. Why would you eat a can of, of this? And that was what it was like in my mind. Like, I've got to pick up every bit of this, and I have to look at it because this isn't serving me because I'm going to turn this into a hipster joint, and I need to get all this stuff out of here, you know? And I had to look at all of it. And I would make my amends. I'd write it out, and my sponsor would be like, yeah, this is about, like, your part. Well, 
It's about my part, but she, you can, this is what she did. And she said, yeah, but it's not about that. It's about your part. Yeah, but what about her part? And she was like, okay, but this is about your part. <laughs> and then I would make that amends, and I would realize by the end of the ninth step, I was like, you know what? We're all fucking up left and right. That's all that it is. There's no such thing as have happily ever after. I've been sold a fake fucking goal. It's just going to be humans boom, 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 colliding into each other, but ideally saying, I'm sorry. And not just saying, move the fuck out of my way, which is how I treat traffic. You know, is, is acting as though there are other people, that everything isn't like my bright idea, that this entire world wasn't put here just to serve Gretchen. And again, I thought these would be good ideas to probably look at the world that way, but that's actually how I see it now. That's actually what's going on for me. The amount of space that I have inside my mind, I'm, I'm actually, I can't believe it, but I'm not that concerned about what you think of me. <laughs> that was one of the first things that went away. Like, I wanted to be above reproach. I wondered. I don't, it doesn't, I don't really think about it. You know, I've got, like, my stuff going on. And this feeling of uselessness, I do honestly look at, like, how can I be useful? And then I notice bridges. I'm constantly noticing when it's beyond that veil and I'm able to touch and reach. And the things that happen in my life, I never saw this stuff coming. I never saw it coming, and I'm enough of an adventurer that I'm happy with that. I like to not see it coming. I don't want it all the same, but I'm facile. You know, I just was that... It was like that video, when you don't know how the video game works and you're just like, boom, hitting the, hitting the wall, hitting the wall, and you don't have any moves. That's how I was before I got sober. And then each step, it was like a little bit more of a move, you know, to where I could maybe kind of go in the direction that I meant to go in. And I would say that almost eight years in, it's like, I can move. I mean, and I'm moving. I mean, like, I can move enough to move. And I, I could not I just, and I wondered what it was, and again, the private shame, the private shame of not being able to figure it out. But, you know, I heard a great thing in Paris say, hey, figure it out is not one of our slogans. <laughs> and turning it over, the only way I know how to turn it over is to, is to pray every day. I combine it with stretching, because I think I actually physically have to stretch. I can't just constrict. And I, I stretch, I say... I say my prayers, and that attitude of gratitude f filling, filling inside my heart. You know, I had a heart that couldn't even feel the breeze against it. It was just so wounded for a variety of wonderful reasons. But one of the things that happened when I was first sober is that I, could, I noticed that I could bear the wind against my heart. And as it, as it is now, it's, my heart is so much more, 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 and more able to feel uh, a variety of touching things that I just, I, I thought I never could. I thought I would just crumple because that's how I'd always behaved. But how I've always <coughs> behaved isn't how I have to always behave now. And I, it's straight up this, because this isn't me. This is not me. So I can see, I still have eyeballs, which I love. You see the light, how the light is. That's not me. You know, I'm going to bike home across that Lamar Bridge and there's going to be the reflections of the light of how this ch town's changed from 81 to now and it's going to be on the water and I'm going to be like, damn, that's beautiful.
beautiful, you know, and I'm going to be able to bike and my legs move. How, I don't know how I know how to do that. <laughs> that's not me. Like, there's so much that's not me. Why would I want everything to be me? I don't even want it all to be me. I don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday. It's not my thing. I don't, it doesn't rise and fall with me. And that's part of the control and that's part of the terror is that it ri- I rise and fall with me. And it's like I realize now that's not true. It's just not true. Now, it's pretty scary to sort of do that weird trust exercise where you fall back into, you know, what? I don't know. But there's been enough, enough from these steps and enough from my relationship with God where it's like, no, I'm held. You know, my pervy dad, he had a nice death. And I helped him have a nice death. And I'm not sorry. I am not sorry I did that. He's a complicated soul. People make mistakes. People do all sorts of stuff. But that's just, that's how it is. There's not going to be a magical time where there's no more of that. And I made that joke about like he was already dead and I couldn't kill him. I actually wouldn't really want to do that. I really, I wouldn't want to do that. I have been able to, over the course of this time, forgive a, 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 a flawed human for being flawed, as am I. And understanding that to me is like being in it is that instead of that apartness because I'm a fucking Texas Gulf Coast queer you don't know you just don't know okay you don't know but by the album you might understand you know all the way over here versus being able to feel connected and being able to be beyond sort of ideas around connection and sort of like I don't know I probably should probably work on my racism where it's just like no fucking be in this world like it doesn't have to live in these concepts it can just live in being able to have that fear of people leave me so that I can smile I can smile the bondage of self that's just it's no fun at all so I'm going to wrap things up because here at Bolden we distribute chips <laughs> for links of sobriety and that may be something that's going to happen but I am delighted. I was like, man, am I going to get to tell my story at Bolden before I, but I didn't tell anybody I wanted to tell it but God is good. God is good. So people keep coming back. It works if you work it. I thought that this was a world of weird cliches. Easy does it. So much funner than hard does it. Um, one day at a time. That's actually all we're actually living. So that's actually fucking true. You know? And do keep coming back. It works if you work it. And work it. You're worth it because we were born for a purpose. And I don't know that our purpose was just to, you know fucking suck our thumb like a king baby it might be to be useful in this world and that may be because how far down the scale we've gone is going to be useful to someone else never forget that part because that is for real what we have to offer so bolden i love you human beings i love you thank you oh my God. Thank you.